Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from a PhD author and Harvard grad on best practices for the four P's of marketing consumer products. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm excited to introduce Dr. James Richardson to the show. James is the author of the book, Ramping Your Brand, which helps high-growth consumer product companies accelerate their growth. He also has his PhD in anthropology, aka human behavior, from the University of Wisconsin, and was a Harvard grad before that. Today, James is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can use best practices in marketing to rapidly scale their product business. Specifically, we are going through the four P's of marketing for hardware companies. Now onto the show. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Happy to have you on. Happy to be here, Kevin. Just over a year ago, you wrote a book. I can see it there. You've got a stack of them. Uh, That's a very exciting journey. Why don't you tell us a bit about uh, Ramping Your Brand, the book? Yeah. So I wrote this book based on some work I did at an old consulting firm a few years back, and it's about exponential growth and how you can achieve it. And it basically teaches you a mental model and a series of steps to go through and develop your own brand, essentially, that can grow exponentially. And it's based on a lot of case study and data science work that I did at a prior company um, where we had to figure out what was what did like brands like Kind and Vita Coco, Coconut Water and Skinny Pop have in common that people can learn from? So the failure rate, you know, for the average entrepreneur goes down a little bit. That was my inspiration. Yeah, that's great. And what's very interesting to me, and I'm sure the audience about that is a lot of this research is based on consumer products, a lot of CBG products and stuff that uh, were companies that went from startup to massive brands that everybody knows, right? So, um, I'm very excited today to talk about the four P's of marketing and how that applies to you know whether you've got just a new idea, just a sketch in your head of, of your new invention idea, or you're on your path to starting to go to market, or you're in market and you're looking to scale your product business. It all comes down to the four P's of marketing. So why don't you just give us a quick walkthrough about how the four P, what what they, what they are first of all, yeah, and then let's break each one down individually okay. and how that applies to hardware startups or scaling hardware products. Got it. So the the four P's uh, are product, and we're going to throw the device and the packaging, everything, everything physical. Uh, then there's placement which you might also hear referred to as channel of sale. We're basically talking about how you retail it, online, offline, omni-channel. Then there's price, pricing. And then there is the murky one called promotion, which is a murky bucket of consumer promotion, which you might better know as advertising. Uh, And then there's retail promotion, which in some retailers gets, uh, well, gets big. It's a big deal. 
<laughs> so, so let's walk it through because those are also somewhat in order, right? Of, of priority when you're thinking about yeah. really anything to do with your product. Uh, explain that as well. You mentioned it to me earlier on the call uh, before the show about how important these things are and why it can diagnose almost any problem or any opportunity in an emerging uh, consumer product company. So what I found as a professional diagnostician of like problems or areas of optimization and growth for emerging consumer product brands is that you need to uh, look in the order that I just gave you uh, to make sure that you're looking at the biggest potential source of problem first when your growth rate your, uh, is not what you want it to be. And, and in my world, that's sub-exponential. So that's less than 75% year-over-year annual growth. Now, some of you might be going, like, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> so, but, but that's the world I'm in. <clears throat> and so if you're like doing 20% year-over-year growth, I would come in and say, you got a problem. <laughs> wow. Let's figure wow. out what it is. And you might be saying, why did I hire this jerk to like raise the bar where I don't need it to be? <laughs> so, but look, I'm just telling you that in a highly competitive categories like beauty or personal care or food or beverage, if you're not growing 75 to 100% year over year off of an initial base of say half a million million dollars in trailing sales, it'd be very hard to ever scale at all. Because well, and the beauty to- is when you're, when you're in that startup <laughs> mode, that, er- that early mode, you really should be looking at that degree of scale. If, if you only, you know, your first sale is 100 units, then it shouldn't be a challenge to double that to 200 and so on to 400. No, it, we are. Yeah, it gets harder when you're in seven figures. And that's absolutely. When, that's when people basically get nervous and hire me. Well, this is why this is great. <laughs> no. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why this is great information for, for especially for hardware startups, because you, you can look forward and understand what do you need to be doing once you start selling. So first and foremost, how do you, you know, looking at the sales, making sure that you're selling, but then understanding that scale is important after that. And as we've talked about on prior shows here, one of the big things when you have that great scale is it creates tremendous valuation for your business, both for investors coming in or from an acquisition perspective, if somebody's looking to buy you, right? Right. So let's, let's jump back to product here. Okay. Right. The, the first things first, right? Whether you're a new product coming on board or you have an existing product and you're looking to scale and you're not hitting those growth targets that you're looking for. How do we break down product? How do we look at our own product um, thinking forward to this four P's of marketing? So I just want to, I'm going to get there, but I just want to add one key performance indicator that would apply to your listeners. And I for think sure. It's, it's all over my book. And there's exponential growth rate, which I, I think is ideal when you're small. Um, because you're growing just fast enough to gain long-term traction. But there's another one. And that is, what is your month-over-month growth rate online? And then what is your month-over-month velocity growth in retail? So velocity is a technical term for how many units per store over a period of time you're selling. And that should be growing month-over-month if you're selling in retail, even in a small scale. Um, And online, you want repeat purchase to be steady, if not um, the steady as a percentage of your sales. Um, and you want it to be at least holding steady or growing depending on the category you're in. So, but generally it's that notion that on a monthly basis, you can see 
incline in your revenue um, and when you smooth the data out. And when you don't see that, that's the first signal before you've done your annual summation and realized, oh yeah, we only grow 30% this year. You should see that coming long before. Right? right. So that's the initial mathematical clue that there's a problem. So the question then becomes, let's look at product first. And I, I want to be clear, your product may not be the problem, but you still got to look there first. That's the first part. Yep. <laughs> so what are we looking for? We're looking for, and this is the one that, this is the one that it seems a little obvious when I mention it, and yet nobody does it. You need to communicate with your fans. Duh. <laughs> um, because the secret for diagnosing whether there is an issue at the product offering is based on talking to the people who have bought it already. Now, if you're in a long purchase cycle hardware category, which many of you are, you're going to talk to basically a random sample of anybody. Much easier. A lot of my clients are in, are in uh, repeat purchase-driven consumer packaged goods categories, so they need to actually talk to the people who've bought it two and three times because the, the one-timers, they basically said, I don't like it, and I'm gone. <laughs> I'm back to Lay's potato chips. Um, so depending on your category, you've got to look at a slightly different group of buyers. But what you want to figure out is what are the key, I call them outcomes, Clayton Christensen calls them jobs to be done. I hate that phrase. Um, but, but the idea is what are the outcomes that they purchased your products to, to achieve and, and how do they feel they worked, right? Um, and the, the key is you have to be able to have a fairly objective conversation about this. And that's why I recommend, the, I recommend that the founder not actually do the interview, but have like, some ancillary staff person who's got less skin in the game, less emotional investment. <laughs> they can do the interview, but pick up the phone, right? Call a random eight to 10 of these people and ask them open-ended questions to get the stories of how they, now in your, in a lot of hardware categories, this is, these are actually interesting interviews, right? Cause you can actually ask them Definitely. why you use it. When did you use it? What did it replace? Blah, blah, blah. And you'll get really interesting information. And if you do it objectively with open-ended questions, you can pull out some quick patterns over eight to 10 people. And you'll realize you need to realize one key thing very quickly to see if there's a problem. One is that is everybody who's buying it and happy telling you about some outcome that you that's like way off in your peripheral vision as the creator? That's the first thing you need to look for. Because if that's the, that's the case, the chances are pretty high that your feature set screwed up <laughs> and that your early people are just putting up with it. <laughs> and it could be a beautiful opportunity too, right? Yeah, they could be yeah. telling you something saying, hey, you know what? We love this about your product. And right. you're sitting there going, that really wasn't even what I was going for. But uh, right. and, you're and not so, going to get that deep information without having that communication loop, which is key. And I know in a lot of product, in a lot of hardware businesses, there's always this sexy thing lurking in the peripheral vision. And that is subscription reoccurring revenue based on something that's, you know, 100% margin. <laughs> and we all know what that is. It's some kind of app-based customized information flow and whatever, you know, and people want to put it in a blender and they want to put it in their kitchen gadget anywhere they can. But I think there are some where it's often the case that the physical hardware designer isn't even thinking about any of them at all, unless they have a VC who's been pushing that because every investment guys know that's the where the money is, is recurring subscription revenue and data analysis is not the product. 
um, So if you have any kind of opportunity like that, this is the kind of research that will shove it in your face because it may not it may not be obvious to you. You might've been solving an actual technical widget problem that actually was important to solve, but your research, very quick research on the phone could tell you that emotionally their experience of, of um, using your product is connected to something else in their life that you had no clue about, you weren't even thinking about. And the earlier in the product life cycle that you do this, yeah. the yeah. exponentially easier it is to access if not all of your customers, yeah. I think about uh, yeah. one of our clients, exactly. the CNCT cooler. It's uh, basically a, a beautiful uh, cooler that's designed for a Tesla. It goes wow. into the, it goes into the, I think the frunk or trunk or whatever. Well, they have placement sorted out, don't they? <laughs> right. So it, it's great. This amazing <laughs> cooler. He's even got like the Tesla style handles we design into it and all this that pop out. And they're so, you know, this thing's just beautiful, whatever else. But Graham, what he really does, which I find is amazing is, He's talked to so many of his early buyers and they've asked him questions. He's then spun those questions onto YouTube. Anytime he gets the same question more than two or three times, he'll actually post it on YouTube and say, Hey, people were asking me if this could fit in the the model, whatever, (laughs) some different model version of the car or whatever else. He'll say, here's how it fits. Here's what you have to look out for, whatever else. So he's not only is he getting great feedback which is going into his you know, future design considerations, his future product considerations, his brand expansion considerations. But he's also yeah. double, double, doubling down on those conversations to actually get in front of additional, even prospective clients. You use that as almost an advertising tool or another method to help maybe those people who are having those same hesitations for buying the product. Yeah, and so think- it, it can be very easy. It can be very yeah. complicated, but it can also be very easy um, just pick up the phone and call some of those early customers, especially if you've got a new product that's just launched and you only have a couple hundred customers. This is easy right? and free. So one of the things that Clay Christensen, I think, gets right, and I agree with him, and it really applies to tech, consumer technology and hardware devices that they tend to get designed by engineers, let's be honest, engineers who are, because they're good, they're super nanoscopic in how they define what a problem is. <laughs> um, and this is like, this is... And if that's the founder, then they'll benefit the most from this open inquiry because they may realize that the problem they designed the widget to solve is actually embedded inside a much bigger problem. And from my perspective as a social scientist, that problem is usually sociological in nature, right? So I give you an example from the world of food just to make things interesting. Years ago, I did some work for Activia. And one of the things, this is before their U.S. launch, so, you know, I think the NDA is kind of moot. <laughs> but, the, but um, you know, one of the things we found out for their marketing organization, which did affect their commercial strategy and their advertising strategy, for one, is, is that the core audience early on were people who had IBS, Crohn's, chronic constipation. You know, they basically have a colon problem. <laughs> right? It's not pleasant to talk about either. In fact, they don't talk about it uh, at the time. So we got them to talk about it. And what we found out was that they didn't just need, like a, they weren't just trying to, the problem of the constipation, their bowels was connected to something much more compelling, which is the social problem called, I'm literally canceling, randomly canceling dates with my girlfriends and I can't too embarrassed to say why. I can't go out to dinner with my boyfriend. I'm too embarrassed to say why. 
um, whatever it is. I mean, so basically it was affecting their social life, right? So whenever right. you have a whenever you have a hardware widget, which to you may seem like a very narrowly constrained engineering issue, when you can um, unlock a solution to something social in their life, and, and, and at least they believe it's going to improve their life, you need to, uh, not only does that need to be the foreground of your marketing, but it needs to potentially, it could potentially lead to in a hardware device, a whole bunch of other revenue streams and services and other stuff. So you can't really do that in food, you know, because just because I bought Activia yogurt and I think I'll poop better because I eat it, I'm not going to go to Dan in USA for like therapy. Right. <laughs> so, but, you know, there's other, there's other hardware things where you can, we could actually do that, right? Because they're in categories that are more platformable and the consumer will jump from product to service inside a brand really easily. They don't do that in food, by the way. Yeah. I mean, this is, (laughs) (laughs) it's a, it's a great, uh, you know, it's a great subject because there's a lot that you can be thinking about when you're developing the product about what that end user's pain point is. What problem are you actually solving? How are you changing their life? And that all comes into marketing, right? Don't sell them your features, sell them how that changes their life and improves the life. One of the things that we do, you know, when we're doing design and engineering for consumer products, and I know the exact thing you talk about when it comes down to engineering, you can get very caught up in the weeds, focusing on a nut and a bolt and how it's going to go together. But one of the biggest things that we always push our clients, because most of our clients are either small businesses or startups or inventors, right? So they're generally, this is either the first product or it's a fairly revolutionary product in their product line. So one of the first things that we do is we call it um, brilliantly simple design. How do you constrain this great vision you have and all these features that you think are going to be very, you know, the the, the next thing? And how do you condense that into like one or two key benefits to that user? Then designing around that. So that should be the model for it. Here is the one or two features. I think of our client class magic. Her one key features she allows people who struggle to put bracelets on to put a bracelet on with one hand with this device. That is it. So we broke it down to the core of that thing. How do we create a device? How do we engineer it? So when you have the designers and the engineers and we're getting into prototyping, thinking of going into production, we're thinking about this one key feature, not worrying about the other bells and whistles, not worrying about all the tack-on features that you could or could not have, not trying to create this perfect blend of uh, of 28 different versions of this thing that, that could appeal to everybody, focusing on a very niche uh, demographic, who are we actually solving? And then creating a very specific niche product for that demographic. And that as well, you yes. know, helps it to yeah. be wildly successful, both for messaging and all the rest yeah. of the stuff, which we can get into. So actually, so th- why don't we do that? Why don't we switch to the next yeah. P? You know, now let's assume, okay, you've, 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 you're very focused, you've got your niche, you, you understand that um, you're thinking about the customer's pain point first. How are you actually creating something for that? Let's jump into the next one, which is placement in the four P's of marketing. So now, <laughs> now you, you've got to figure out where in the omni-channel universe of retailing you are going to appear for this early audience. And we'll assume that your early audience is a niche subpopulation of people who tend to try and do things in that general area, or at least temporarily they're in the market for the new thing, like 
pregnant women buying the latest baby stroller, right? So, it's, um, so where do you go? And all I can say is there's no answer. There's no one answer with a few exceptions. The downstream, what I would call everyday low price mass discount retailers are not where you want to be in general as an entrepreneur. If you're just filthy rich and you like have $30 million sitting in the bank, you could potentially try to create a Walmart ready, super cheap widget that does solve the problem that everybody already has, yada, 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 and blow the thing out. But the average person, and this is why I wrote this book, is an undercapitalized entrepreneur. And so one of the baseline assumptions for the whole book is that unless you just like throwing money away and, and, and want to, you like train wrecks because <laughs> you need some emotional stimulation, <laughs> you know, you have to be doing a premium price product at the start. Because otherwise, you're not going to be generating enough gross profits to feed back into the business to drive further growth. Absolutely. And investors, most angel investors today, the ones you want to work with, aren't stupid enough to donate $100,000, $200,000, um, $500,000 to businesses that have no gross profits, Right. And in my, I work, I have clients who are in food. I'm telling you, man, food is, food is tough. It, it's not hard at all to find yourself if you make the wrong placement decision because of distribution costs to find out you're making 10 pennies a unit before you get to your operating costs. <laughs> so, it's just like, like your salary and your, you know, all that stuff. So basically yeah, this, the, business, the business has no, it doesn't have a fuel injector inside of it. It's, it's screwed. So you need the premium price for the reason of just ca of cash flow and enough gross profits so that you can get to say a million. In my world, it's generally about a million dollars in trailing revenue is when you've covered your fixed costs finally with the gross profits per unit. Um, in some hardware categories, you might hit it a lot faster because the, the, <laughs> your penny profit production on a $25 electronic thing is actually pretty high. I, I often work for people who are doing $4 units, $5 units. So just think about it. You're making a buck, two bucks. <laughs> it's like very little money. So cash, gross profit is one. The other reason you need premium price is what we were just talking about. You, you initially don't want to waste any time moving your inventory to people who are remotely price sensitive in your space. Because when you remove price completely, basically, from the unconscious mind as they're shopping, you can focus their brain, which is what you want to do, very quickly on what you would call feature and then outcome, right? And that, that basic signaling process. And if you've done the packaging right, like you just said, it's going to be highly focused, right? So you're going to have, you have, you guessed right on the pain point. You've got the one or two key features. It's very clearly laid out on a very clean package. It doesn't have a million electronic features. And on food, it's usually a million claims, like gluten-free, vegan. It's like, who cares? <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. Why do I care? Um, and one of the first things I do with my, some of my clients is that we just move half the, we move 80% of the symbols to the back panel. It's very simple. It's like, these aren't helping you. They're just, it's just noise. 
right? And the same thing with feature mark, feature design on the packaging where people in retail or on a website are going to be going like, well, what, it, what does it do? What's it got? How do I know the outcome is going to happen? You have to make that really clear. But when you remove price by having a premium price, you've opened up a lot more cognitive space now to have a marketing argument, a persuasive argument. If the person is bringing, because anybody who's done market research for more than two years on mass market products already has seen the surveys, a mass market consumer survey on any category with just your average Walmart shopper of, 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 of um, shopping variables, the number one that hits every survey, the number one on any survey aimed at a general audience is price. Because that's what most people look at. They filter the shelf, digital or otherwise, for some price range they're comfortable with. You don't want to waste your time with people like that. Right. As an undercapitalized entrepreneur, I, I train people to be just relentless snobs. <laughs> it helps because I'm a social scientist. And so actually one of my expertise is social class. So I basically say, look, dudes, you're not poor. That's why you're starting this business, Right. So who are your friends? Let's talk about your friends. Well, your friends are da, da, da. Guess what? Your friends are probably your customers, right? You probably already knew that. So we just need to, we need to find people you don't know that are like them. And so, <laughs> you know, and then they're like, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah. And then suddenly they get less interested in selling at Target because Target is full of price obsessed loobies and you don't want to deal with them yet. You don't want to deal with them yet because your P&L can't handle it. Right. Uh, and I find this is yeah. particularly important <laughs> when you're dealing with a new hardware startup, you yeah. have created an innovation. You've created something. That's why you're doing this. That's how you found this vision, right? You've created something unique, something that's solving a pain point. That is the opportunity, the best opportunity in your business to say, look, I've got this new thing. It, it, yeah. it, first of all, it's new. Second of all, it, it, it's never existed before because it's new, obviously. And therefore, it's solving a major pain point. As such, you're going to have to pay a little bit more for it. Anything you that you know of that yeah. comes out that it's the new hottest thing, it always starts at a premium price. And then, then and only then, you can start working your way down. Like you said, as you have more success, more scale, better economies of scale on the back end, cheaper manufacturing, more well-oiled manufacturing on the back end, you can really start to pull yourself back to yeah. look at lower and lower and lower price points to hit more and more yeah. of that consumer market. But why not? Especially in a global population oh, yeah. of seven plus yeah. billion people, you can find a handful of people who are willing to pay a premium price for your unique thing. And that is yeah, the yeah. opportunity. You can always bring the price down as well. It is impossible yeah. to bring your price up. You cannot start at $10 <laughs> and then decide now you're actually selling it. $20 because you want to bake no, in bigger margins. No, the customers and, uh, will not accept that. And no. customers are very savvy this day and age, especially if there's digital technology behind it, they'll know what the price was before. So you have one opportunity and an amazing opportunity to have a high priced, high margin product of which you can use those profits, which I really like what you said about capital. You can yeah. then reinvest that capital into growing your brand. And that is a big part of that exponential growth. So you really hit placement and pricing in one shot there. So I appreciate well, see, they're that. All they're all interrelated. They are, of course. It's somewhat a false game to totally separate them. But I still think there's an order that we're going through that makes sense. Because if you have misperceived the highest value outcome your thing is dealing with, then a whole bunch of other stuff is just going to start to misfire. Um, uh, 
Well, let's get, let's get to that promotion one before we, uh, yeah. before we wrap up here. So this is the fourth one promotion we haven't talked about yeah. yet. Um, what can you talk about in terms of promotion, both, you know, digital and obviously brick and mortar retailers um, when it comes to hardware startups? I think that, you know, most of you guys can sell direct, right? Off a Shopify website. There's nothing stopping you. And, and we've now learned, uh, I'm totally convinced now because I've had some clients do crazy things that should not be possible in a logical universe. Um, <laughs> the highest return on ad spend, and I mean return not just on your on rev the, the revenue return on ad spend, but the profit return on ad spend is coming um, from extremely entertaining video-based uh, performance campaigns on social media. This is probably not news to a lot of people listening, but it was news to me in the last year. Uh, you know, so if you have a D2C site and you're able to work that and create video content that actually is entertaining, not instructional, right? We're not talking about YouTube how-to videos. <laughs> I mean, you may need one once they buy it, but that's not what's going to get people to go spend a potentially irrational amount of money with, with your thing. You need an entertaining video. Entertainment really has become yeah. a big part of, uh, of advertising, all, right? That, that entertainment on, on social media feeds, it should all be about the outcome. And it doesn't have to be expensive. Yeah. Look at Dollar Shave no. Club, right? No. Billion dollar company off a $5,000 ad, right? That was largely just done in-house in by, the, by the owner, right? So you don't yeah. have to yeah. spend big bucks, especially yeah. in the early phases. But think about it in terms of entertainment. Don't just say here's my product and here's what it does. And we're all bad for that, right? Add one other layer, especially in a product. You have a great opportunity. You're solving a major problem for somebody. Highlight that, make it clear. It doesn't even necessarily have to be funny. And I think that's a misnomer when it comes to entertainment. Everybody says, well, I'm not a funny person. It doesn't have to be funny. It can be catchy. It can be unique. Yeah. It can be just inspiring. You're, I mean, you've got a crazy new hardware product, so you could do beautiful renderings. That immediately is going to catch somebody's eye. Wow, look at that product. You know, just look at it move and whatever else. Look at the reflections and the shadows. It's beautiful, right? So you've got a lot that you can package into that entertainment bracket. But the key is to be thinking about that in conjunction with your features, but really focusing done, first on entertainment. If, if you've done, I mean, if you if you are following the sort of the uh, the luxury hardware physical structure sort of Apple computer model of design, then you need to have a video that's going to highlight that as well in a specific way, because part of part of high priced hardware is you're going to have to have a utilitarian benefit, a functional benefit, but you also, um, it's much easier to justify that high price point to a very large audience when you're selling art object as art, right? And I think that your video might actually be able to exaggerate those features of your product much better than packaging. And that's great because, you know, as we wrap this up, that brings you full circle right back to product, which was the first one, right? If you've designed a beautiful product, yeah. if it's simple, if it's targeted, if, it, if the pricing is a premium product, and then you're promoting it as a premium product, entertaining, bringing people in to look at this beautiful thing that you've created that's very focused to a specific group of users that will be end up being yeah. raving fans because it is so targeted to that user base. That's how you wrap all of, all of these four Ps into one bow. So I really appreciate all this insight. Where can um, people find your book and learn more uh, about what you're doing? 
So you can go to Amazon right now and type in Ramping Your Brand. Uh, it's available in every format, including Audible, if you are not a big reader. I will read it for you. <laughs> so, and I would love it if you guys did check out a copy. And if you know nobody, nobody in the consumer packaged goods, which is sort of my sweet spot, who's getting, who's jumping off the diving board, please send them a copy of this book or tell them to get it. That, that'd be great. Well, Dr. James Richardson, much appreciate you being on the show and uh, looking forward to talking to you again. Thanks. Thank you so much, Gary. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com that's m-a-k-o design.com for a free consultation from one of maco designs for design studios from coast to coast thanks for listening and see you next time